podcast this week, we speak to Emma Corrin and Michael Grandage, star and director of My Policeman, plus Black Adam, Black Adam, star and all-round legend Pierce Brosnan. Well, maybe you shouldn't be potting here. <laughs> So Buy me a pint. Buy me a pint for England, Alex. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan on the podcast. Amazing. All that and more on the movie podcast that, unlike Pierce Brosnan, has never stuffed an exploding clown into a wheelchair at a kid's party and then rammed him into a hot dog truck. But you know what? It's Halloween, folks. There is still plenty of time. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Sorry about that intro. <laughs> <laughs> Lost a run of ourselves is hey, it's Halloween. Hooby Halloween time is just around the corner, and I'm just I'm just full of the joys of the season. What can I say? Anyway, I'm joined this week by my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Are you particularly lethal this Halloween season, Geek Queen Helen O'Hara? Um, as a lawyer, I feel I should say no, no, no fatalities Damn, I have occurred. Fall into my trap. <laughs> She didn't. I did not elicit a confession. I need to go back to police school. Uh, we're also joined by great big fucking nerd James Dyer. Are you feeling lethal? Well, I went full old boy on the train this morning. So, yeah, a little what, bit. Fighting your way through your carriage <laughs> with, a, with a hammer. Yeah, hitting people yeah. on the head with an octopus, really, was what I was doing. So, <laughs> you know. I, I feel like you need to rewatch old boy. But okay. Yeah, yeah. You're, you are a ridiculous man. Uh, speaking of ridiculous men, we are joined by our very own George Harrison, looky likey. If I needed someone to be on this podcast, it would be John Nugent. Hello, John. Oh, I see. I see. It's a George Harrison s- song title. Yeah, yeah. Does yeah. John look like George? As I don't know what George Harrison looks like, does, I need to yes. ask. Do, do you? Do you look like George Harrison? I, I mean, I, can't I guess. The, I can't be the only person who said this. Um, I mean, other people have since you've said this, but uh, I, I don't. I yeah, I guess it's just the floppy hair, isn't it? I I, th- I don't know if it's anything else. Doesn't don't all the Beatles look basically identical? No, no. In, in the early 60s, they all had the sort of same haircut. They had the same haircut for a while. They went yeah. to the same hairdresser. They're, they're a bit homogenous to me. It's I the sort of, it's the sort of atonement part. school of identification. You saw, you saw the haircut, you were like, ah, oh, yes, that's a Beatle. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, all this jolly chat about the Beatles reminds me, of course, that they were the Fab Four, those, those lovable lads from Liverpool. And, of course, some of our number in this room were in Liverpool at the weekend. Yes. I wasn't in Liverpool. Uh, I wanted to be in Liverpool um, to see, obviously, a glorious victory over Manchester City. I had ticket, I had ticket, but I could not go. Uh, but I also had ticket to Ben Travis's wedding. Our very own Ben Travis, the, the one serial Ooh. killer in this room, got married to his beloved Lizzie. And, Wait, um, is he in this room right now? Do you see Ben? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He is disguised as the wall panel. This oh, is shit. this is how he strikes. This is how he strikes, uh, allegedly. So uh, it was amazing, and got it that I couldn't be there. James, you couldn't be there either. No, nope. uh, but I feared they might play Rise of Skywalker at the reception, so I was and having none would, of it. You would, you, yeah. uh, you, anyone here object to this union? And you'd go, <laughs> I object to Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> and it would have gone horribly, horribly wrong. But yeah. uh, John, Helen, you were there. Mm-hmm. How was it? And our congratulations, yeah. heartfelt congratulations to Ben and Lizzie. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a lovely day, wasn't it? It, it was, was really great. It was a super great wedding. I mean, the, the pair of them were just giggly and joyous and yeah. um, all good people. Um, their, their families turned out to be delightful Ugh. as well. Their friends they were, were fun. All just 
like disgustingly nice. just disgustingly mm. adorable i mean you know the, the, i mean obviously it helped that james wasn't there that the, the <laughs> average level of adorability was already you know higher than usual but um but yeah no just an incredibly gorgeous bunch of people they got married in the liver building it yes. could not have been more liverpudlian um lizzie ben's yeah, wife it, is it could have been no, okay, okay, Anfield, but whatever. Yeah. But, but like, not much more. Uh, and and Lizzie Ben's wife is is from there, uh, so it was you know it was authentic mm. to to their their personalities, and it was it was just an absolutely glorious day. It was very. Uh, there was lots of lovely nerdy references everywhere, yes. wasn't there? I mean, we we were sat on the Empire Strikes Back table. Yes. appropriately enough, they had each table at the reception was named after a film that was like special to the couple. Mm. So we were on the Empire Strikes Back. I think the top table. The top, I, I want you, okay, I, I'm going to give you two a chance to guess what film... Oh, bottom of the Edge. They're not what film in inspired the name of the top table Rise of Skywalker. Ben and Lizzie's wedding? No, no. Is it an animated movie? It may it surprise you. It is not an animated you. movie. It is will it, surprise you. Is it a live-action movie? It is not a live... It is a live-action movie, yeah. yes. Okay. Is it animal, vegetable, or mineral? Um, oh, that's a tough one. I mean, vegetable, probably. Right. Yeah. Okay. Is, <laughs> it, is, it, is it a movie? Okay. Which decade? Uh, Noughties. No, sorry, tens. 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 Yeah. Tens? Yeah. Yeah. Tens? This is hard. Is it wedding-themed? No. No. Right. Is it Jermaine? Although, in a way, it's a coming together of two great It's a It's a joyous forces. union of two people who are very much in love. Oh, oh, oh. say. Yeah. Oh, oh. Batman versus Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. No. It's a very good call, but no. Oh. Osmosis Jones. <laughs> I mean, super great guess, but absolutely not. Without a paddle. No. <laughs> That's three people. Cedar Rapids. <laughs> all right. We'll just tell you the, the, the top table, the, the, the wedding table where all of Ben's closest relatives and all of Lizzie's closest Human relatives. Human centipede. So where I would have been sitting. The, 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 the most important table at that wedding was Fast and Furious presents colon Hobbs and Shaw. What? <laughs> no, I kid you not. I mean, we've been saying for a long time Ben's a serial killer on this podcast, <laughs> but it was just a joke. But I'm beginning to believe now that we've stumbled upon the truth. What? That's insane. The top yeah. table was called Hobbs and Shaw. No, it was top called Fast and Furious presents, presents Hobbs and Hobbs Shaw. And of course Shaw. it was. What table were you on? We were on Empire Strikes Back. Are you listening uh, okay. to anything anyone says Absolutely not, no. But then, you know, the fact that I wasn't there, did you not, did that not give you pause? Did you not think I would go full Light of the Seven, Cersei Lannister, and just, you know, take you all out in one fell swoop? Um... No, because I didn't think you'd be bothered not having made the journey to Liverpool. In fairness, it is in, in Liverpool. Yeah, it was impractical. Yeah, exactly. I didn't think you'd come anywhere near Liverpool. I knew we were safe. Okay. He has been in Liverpool, in fairness. I have. Yes, in fact, I know we you. were there together. Mm -hmm. However, like, do you remember how much effort it took to get him up there and how uncomfortable he seemed the entire time? We had to disguise him. Yeah. Exactly. It was a whole thing. I didn't what ho, Liverpool? Hello, I'm here. It was great. We had to disguise him as Ken Dodd. Mm. Otherwise, people would have just gone nuts. Why is it called Liverpool and yet it's a liver bird and a liver building? Why is it not Liverpool? I don't know. Stop asking me difficult questions. Speaking of difficult questions, it's time for this week's question. Are you ready? Bring it. Uh, because we're in the run up to Halloween. <laughs> One more week to Halloween. Oh, no. Halloween. Halloween. One more week to Halloween. Empire Podcast. Thank you, Jimbo, for setting that one up. This question <laughs> comes from at Andy underscore Lane. Oh, by the way, that's from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Some people didn't know. Season of the Witch? Great film. Great film. Nicolas Cage's yeah. finest, clearly. Uh, oh, don't get me started. Oh, that was the one where they, they travelled. What was it? 
2,000 leagues. Oh, under like, the sea. And it just didn't make any sense. Just yeah. ridiculous. Absolutely. I was so outraged. Uh, you came around to my house to watch that. Is I that did, recall? yes, yeah. I did, yeah. Um, at Andy underscore Lane asks, because I asked for horror-themed questions, and everybody asked the same thing, pretty much, except for Andy underscore Lane, who asked, who is on your horror director, Mount Rushmore? So this, this is a good question. I like mm. I like questions like this. So what, four spaces? Four spaces, four candles. Mm. Now, neither John or Helen are massively horror people, but you must have an answer for this. Hell's Bells. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you obviously start with John Carpenter. I think that's a... John Carpenter's Mount Rushmore? Not nailed on so much as carved on. You don't in, want to instantly. nail him. Yeah, don't no, nail him. Would you get a carpenter? Would you get a John Carpenter carpenter to... to well, I mean, it might help with the scaffolding, certainly. Yeah. 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 But, but ultimately, you know, we are carving these out of rock, although ideally not on lands that are sacred to uh, to the local tribes. Um, so, so start with Carpenter. Um, I mean, I guess probably Wes Craven as well. I don't know if we go back as far as James Whale and we, have we, one of the originals. We can go as far back as you want to. I feel like James Whale there makes sense. Um, I mean, the you could film go... director, not the shock jock talk show host. Correct, okay. yes. Um, and uh, I mean, you could do Murnau instead, but I feel like James Whale probably had more to do with creating horror. And I mean, after that, that the last spot... I know your beloved Raimi must be in contention. I mean, does I don't think Hitchcock counts as horror, so I feel like I'm okay leaving him off. Your mileage may vary. People can have opinions about that. I don't know. Psycho is a horror. The birds. Is Psycho a horror. is a horror. Yeah, but you know that's two. I you, think I feel like he's mostly. You could thrillers. argue Vertigo's a horror. Yeah, but you could also argue it's a thriller. You could argue most of those are thrillers. You could, but you could argue Halloween's a thriller. You could. The problem with with a lot of the the modern ones is it's a little bit soon, like a mm-hmm. you know an Ari Aster or something. Like he's very good at scaring people, but you know the body of work's more. not there yet. The body of work isn't there, and also his next film isn't a horror film. So he's made exactly. two horror films, and then he's he's heading off into you know other other lands. But then, areas. like yeah. no one would would cock a snook, or whatever the turn of phrase is, if you put David Cronenberg up there. But then he made he's made one horror film recently and then his previous one was 20 years ago but you still associate him with horror no because he started off with yeah. horror after but horror but like you, after you're horror. allowed to he's branch not... out you're allowed to yeah but, but would not... you say Jordan Peele because obviously Jordan Peele started off in comedy and now he's embraced horror as a genre would you say he qualifies uh, he absolutely qualifies yeah, absolutely. and you know the, his three films as a director are are horror films sure. so you know again very good call I just don't know if the body of work is mm. there yet alright okay so who, who are you going for who's your fourth yeah, I'm still thinking. Leave me alone. Go to somebody else. <laughs> okay, John. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite similar. I think Carpenter is the most nailed on. You could, I, I, I think that's just not. There's no contention there. I think I would probably have Sam Raimi as well. Uh, I might put um, Dario Argento. Dario oh, that's a very good call. Of I, course, can't, I yeah. don't have the stomach yeah, yeah. for that. He's like a filmmaker's filmmaker. Yeah, you know, he he's like. Yeah. It, I, I feel like he's he's if you're talking Rushmore level of mm-hmm. filmmaker, mm. he's he's so influential that um, he needs to be up there. Uh, That's a good call. What and, about Hideo Nakata? Yeah, I was thinking this like, mm, may, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then uh-huh. you get. And, yeah. Or do you, do you do you count someone like Takashi Miike? I was just about oh. to say that. Oh. You know. Yeah. 
But oh. uh, uh, yeah, because he he has the body of work. He does. He has a hell he, of a body uh, he of work. Has, like all of the bodies. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's got a body enormous, count enormous of work. Body of work. He's got great bodies of work. Um, I, I mean, the, 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 yeah, the fourth one I would have, I would have as a, a rotating, uh, like Trafalgar Square, oh, the fourth plinth. Every two years you get a new one. You get the John Carpenter Carpenter to just construct a temporary yeah. structure. And I, then, I don't feel like you all understand what Mount Rushmore is, but okay. It's made of wood. It's a film by it's Wes a, Anderson. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's a wooden mountain. No, Mount Rushmore isn't a film by Wes Anderson. <laughs> so you yeah. say. So yeah, I would have those three and then I would... Uh, just have that's, all the lots of other people. That's sticky. I like it. I like, I like that. it. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Because yeah. then you can have the people who don't have the full body of work. Yet. Right. Because like, I would, I would put Julia Docanu. That's that a very good call. Yeah. Name? Uh, I, I think you know she's only made two films, but they are raw and titan. So as good as any modern mm. horror has ever got for me. Or like um, Jennifer Kent for the Babadook. Yeah, totally. Um, and, yeah. And, and 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 you know, I don't know that you would call the Nightingale a horror movie, but there are certainly horrific moments in it. It's yeah, certainly absolutely. one of them most disturbing things mm. I've seen really very in a while. Yeah. What about Uwe Ball? Yeah. They are horrific. So, <laughs> possibly. Yeah. What about, uh, Jimbo, what about people who um, perhaps don't have the body of work but who have made absolutely uncontestable Ridley Scott. horror movie greats? Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott? I mean, obviously he's got the body of work but not in that genre. I maintain Alien is the greatest horror movie of all time. All right, what about, say, William Friedkin? Yeah. Or Richard Donner, who mm-hmm. made Although, The Omen, yeah, 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 made The Exorcist, John Landis, American Werewolf. Yeah. Yep. Co-sign all of these. Stanley Kubrick for The Shining. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick. Decent imagine, imagine carving Stanley Kubrick's face into a <laughs> huge mountain. You have to do it 50 times. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a nub by the end of it. <laughs> Sorry, Stan, we uh, had no rock left with, to work. I mean, honestly, come on. What about Guillermo? Guillermo oh, del Toro. Because, call. as we all know, Shape of Water was fucking horrifying, so that should definitely oh, come be on, come know, on. a shoe in Come on now. Fish fucker. Come on. Um, so who, what's your, what are your four choices? <sighs> You've all given me a lot, lot to think about, by the way. I'd what put, about Toby I'd, Hooper? Toby Hooper? Mm, Texas Chainsaw mm, Massacre? No, and Poltergeist? Like and Salem's Lot? <sighs> yeah, no, I think yeah. I'd have Carpenter. No. I'd have Craven. No. What? Definitely those. We've only got four spaces on this mountain. Yeah, he doesn't get a space. Toby Hooper doesn't get a space in your mountain. No, no. James no Wan would get a space over Toby Hooper. James Wan, I was going to suggest mm. James Wan. James what Wan is Scott is Derrickson? If you're looking for great yeah. modern horror filmmakers, yep. James yep. Wan, yep. Scott Derrickson, um, Jordan Peele, Ari Aster, any of these guys, mm. Robert Eggers. Has anyone mentioned Romero yet? I'm about Holy to. Holy shit. Oh, okay. He's nailed on for me, I'm afraid. Okay. Really? Again, again yeah. you don't nail things like it's carved <laughs> yeah. out of the mountain. That's <laughs> not how it works. <laughs> but, but, like, but say, I, I, I love hate, like Dawn of the Dead love. Day of the Dead, yes. The subsequent, obviously, Night of the Living Dead, but the, the subsequent ones sully it a little bit for me. Right, but what about things like Martin and the Crazies? You, you know, Crazies is very good. Mm-hmm. I do like that. He also made a film called Season of the Witch, do which you? isn't Halloween three. All right, so who's your four? John, who was your four? My fourth was uh, uh, rotating every so went, two years. You went Raimi. <laughs> Carpenter. Raimi, Carpenter, Argento. Argento, great yeah. choice. Love that choice. And then... Is uh, he, he, he in bright, garish primary colours? Yes, yeah, yeah. You paint. You have to paint the mountain red. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, the, the fourth, f- rota- the f- rotating fourth. Fourth one. We, we'll start with Ducono um, for the first two years. And then, All right. Uh, yes. But here's the thing. The mountain itself would have to only allow four faces. So you would have to choose four faces on the mountain. You couldn't carve a new face. You'd have to have... 
You know what I mean? Yes, but you, but you would get the John Carpenter Carpenter to be nailed nailing on in wood. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like a mask. Yes. Mm. Yes. Okay. Do you think John Carpenter has an immaculately crafted toilet? No. Okay. Or do you think it's just like a bunch of... <laughs> I don't think he carpenters... in the ground. I don't think he carpenters his John. No. Um, unless, unless, you know, maybe like a sort of an outhouse thing in the garden. Maybe mm-hmm. he's, he's done the outhouse bit, but I don't think you'd carve the bowl itself, you know. I think he would. I, I think, think, I think the bowl of a carpenter. Wood's probably too permeable to be sanitary. Just, you know. You can get wooden toilet seats. Yeah. Yeah, but not actually bowls. <laughs> One does not piss into a wooden toilet. I'm well, sure I've seen bears, that written down sorry, somewhere. What do bears do? Yeah. They're always <laughs> shitting in they the woods. Do, they do shit in wooden toilets. It's absolutely true. All right. Okay, Jimbo, you're four. You can't do it without Carpenter and Craven, so those are kind of just assumed. So I have two to play with. And because I'm contrary by nature, I would go Ridley Scott and I would go Richard Donner. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for that famous yeah. horror body of, body of work. <laughs> exactly, See, exactly Ridley that. Ridley Scott, you could argue, has one and done more than one horror film, mm. right? Because yeah. Alien Covenant is a horror film. Sure, it wouldn't be on my Mount Rushmore. Prometheus but. is a horror film for many different reasons. <laughs> but um, there are other. He has he has played around that genre a little bit. Mm. Donner Donner really didn't yeah. after the Omen. But the Omen is terrifying. So, but it's, so I'm more of a fan. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a gore hound at all. I don't enjoy gore. I, in fact, it upsets me. So I like psychological horror. I like stuff that genuinely scares you, not jump scares, but like deep, bone deep dread is what I go for. And the Omen has that in a similar way to the Exes has, where it just there's something almost primal about how it scares you. Uh, and then Alien is just just a masterclass in building tension. So uh, they scare the absolute shit out of me. Those films do. All right. I'm going to throw two more names at you because you've made my task of <laughs> coming up with four really, really fucking difficult with a lot of your, your, uh, a lot of your suggestions. Uh, one that came to me as well was Takashi Shimizu, who directed the original The Grudge, which is an utterly terrifying film. Yeah, that's a very good call. Utterly that, terrifying film. That kid is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Mm. Uh, I'm going to throw two more names into the, into the mix. Edgar Wright and mm-hmm. Peter Jackson. Interesting. See, no, see, I'm, I'm, I'm disqualifying Edgar Wright on this because the thing is, I, I still maintain you can only count Last Night in Soho as a horror film because I still, I cannot in good conscience allow Shaun of the Dead as a horror film. Shaun of the Dead absolutely counts. <gasps> oh, yeah, totally. I just, it, but just, then, you know, funny. but then it's like, it's like, it's Ghostbusters a horror film. It's yes. like, yeah, I, it's the blurring of the genre. It's, but the thing is, it's, I always think it's on balance. Like, sure, it is 100% a, like a, a slash genre movie. But if you, its primary genre is comedy, its secondary genre is horror. I kind of feel like a true horror film should be a primary horror and then a, you can have a, sub, a sub-secondary category. But Shaun neither of, of those are primarily Shaun horror. Shaun of the Dead's third act. There it's are very dark few as jokes. Fuck. Oh, yeah, it's really bleak. Like, it's, but, yeah, it's, it absolutely meets the criteria. It, I, it's more, I mean, more so than Ghostbusters, certainly. But Edgar Wright also has Don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and World's does. End. Pushing it, Indeed. Yeah. yeah. With Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Hey. Of but course. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead, crucially, is not scary at any point. Ghostbusters I scary. is scary. I find, at I, sorry, I find, I find zombies scary. Oh, really? Danny Boyle almost, just for 28 Days Later. Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. If we're, if we're oh, that is good. Know. See, yeah, 28 Days Later is a really good horror film. Proper scary. Mm. I'm so surprised that neither of you two, of all people, have mentioned Paul. W.S. Anderson. Well, for Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. But then equally, no, I didn't, you know, I was thinking like Neil Marshall as well because yeah. The Descent is a masterpiece, but then obviously Doomsday. So, you know, it's tricky. I See, mean, if you're talking about people who've only made one horror film, Charles Lawton. 
Mm. Night of the Hunter, one of the greats. Yeah. You could argue the Terminator is a horror film. It is a horror yeah. film. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's just, it's just it's hard to see it that way sometimes when you've seen it so many times. And when it's not as primary it. function, James. No, well, no, <laughs> but it, it's, it's a stalker movie, isn't it? Like it is horrifying. It's an eighteen. Ah, it's nasty. <laughs> it's yeah. Like I, 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 yeah. Okay, it is a horror film. So in fact, so now we're taking off all four faces <laughs> and <laughs> having just one giant sculpture of James Cameron. That's that's what that's, I'm doing. That's your answer yeah. to everything. It is. Yeah. Is he nude? Absolutely. In my, in my eyes, it's, he's I'm I'm going to chisel him like one of his French girls, and he's going to be sort of like side on on a chaise long naked across Mount Rushmore, and that's going to take up the whole space. Yeah. Again, not can... Mount Rushmore itself, a different mountain. We're doing a different mountain. No, we're taking. No, Mount no, Rushmore. we're taking the presidents yeah, off, and we're putting yeah. James Cameron up there. Those Nude. guys have had their wow, shots. Wow, I am telling Nick Cage on you. Yeah. Um, Wearing only the heart of the ocean. Oh God. <laughs> North by Northwest would play very differently if that was, uh, <laughs> that was how it ended. What would he be hanging off? Oh, Don't God. answer that question. <laughs> Just let your minds go there. Let's all plug into James Cameron fire like, like Mother Ewa. But uh, let's not actually say that. That's not... Yeah. Probably wise. What, what are you James Cameron's then? penis. M- m- money it. where your mouth is, Chris. Come on. Oh, man, this is difficult. I thought this would be really easy. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this on the way into work. This is the rare question I've thought about. <laughs> so first time for everything. First time for everything. And so I, I was, I was thinking, oh, okay, well, yeah, my beloved possessed good boy, naturally, Sam Raimi, is one hundred percent on there for the Evil Dead movies alone. And you know, why not? He throws in Drive Me to Hell uh, as well. So he's in. He is done. John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors of all time. What an incredible run uh, as a horror director that he had. You know, you could make a case for Assault and Precinct 13 being a horror to some extent. Yeah. But obviously Halloween, The Fog, The Thing, uh, Prince of Darkness and The Mouth of Madness is some, you know, tremendous horror films uh, in in there. Uh, so that's an all-timer for me. George Romero. Absolutely George Romero for me. Mm. The original Dead trilogy is unimpeachable for me. Uh, my favourite is Day of the Dead. I adore that film. Uh, so that is, that's another one nailed on and I didn't want to necessarily just be the guy who chooses filmmakers from a particular era and all from America either and John's Dario Argento is a great great shout Takashi Miike uh, Takashi Shimitsu um, Hideo Nakata these are all mm. great choices as well Jordan Peele is a belter because I've loved every one of Jordan Peele's movies so far Cronenberg, I mean, Cronenberg, I mean, you know, look at that early run, you know, you got Scanners and Rabid and Shivers and The Brood, and those those are all really gnarly horror films. Then he kind of goes up to the fly, doesn't he? That's when he kind of drops the mic as a horror filmmaker. I don't know. Brian LeFant, director of Problem Child 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's, directed, who's, who's the guy who, Dennis Dugan, who directs all those uh, Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> he, should, he should be on the list. I don't know. I don't, honestly, I don't know. James Wan is a really, really good mm. uh, modern candidate as well. So is Scott Derrickson, who's the exorcism of Emily Rose, scared the living shit out of me mm. and, and continues to do so. But I'm going to go, uh, Jimbo suggested it. I think it's a great choice. Guillermo. I'm going to go Guillermo. Mm. Uh, even though, you know, how many, how many pure horror films has he made? Really, Kronos, Mimic, Blade 2. Everything else after that is obviously fantasy with a little bit of horror. Mm. But Pan's Labyrinth is that a horror. That feels like a mm. horror film. To Pan's me. Labyrinth, you know, mm. for Pan's Labyrinth alone, he he belongs in that list. Uh, and I I just love his face. I want to see his. <laughs> I want to see his backbone, bearded, yeah. bespectacled face. You know, Devil's Backbone. Absolutely. So you stick Guillermo on your Mount Rushmore. There you go. Boom. Boom. Done. 
Did you know that the um, original designs for Mount Rushmore were supposed to have their full bodies and they ran out of money? That's a true fact. <laughs> but, but hang on. That's a true hang fact. On. If Look that up. was a true fact, then proportionally they'd have to sort of burrow down like leagues into the ground, surely. No, have you seen that? Like, it's, it's, it's just the top of the mountain. The top of a very large mountain. Is there room for the rest of them? Yeah. to be? Are you sure? Yeah. They, you they, they've run out of money. They, so they were actually going to do they them full body? There is like a, a sort of scale model of a full-size... What, what were they wearing? Never were they wearing anything? Were they nude? They were dressed, James. You say that. Were they holding hands and dancing like in a <laughs> yeah. chorus line? No. Was no, it a great big circle joke? Presidents. No. Was it human centipede style? <laughs> <laughs> That's not how human centipedes work. No. <laughs> okay, you know it, John. <laughs> what happened in Liverpool, John? Okay, well, listen, I think this is a, I think that's a successful conclusion <laughs> to yet another excellent question. Thank you so much to whoever asked a question for sending it in to us. Andy Lane, Andy Lane, thank you so much indeed. Uh, shall we barrel straight into movie news? Because I like this new format I've accidentally stumbled upon of leaving an interview until after reviews. So we, shall we do movie news? Let's All do right. it. Sure. Let's do that. And then we can have a guest and then we'll have reviews. And then we'll have another guest. And then everyone can go home. This is all coming together. I love it when a plan comes together. Uh, what has come together in the world of movie news? Who wants to kick us off? What's happened? I, I think maybe the the big one was one that dropped perhaps like directly after last week's podcast, as is tradition, right? And it is. This is the, um, the news that Harrison Ford is joining the MCU. So he's going to be playing. Who's he going to be playing? Dr. Richard Kimball. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Indiana Jones crossover movie we never knew we needed. <laughs> Indiana Jones. In with a thunderbolt. And the Infinity Stones. That would be amazing. That so would be amazing. He's taking over from William Hurt as, he is. as General slash Secretary Ross. Yes. Right? yes. Thaddeus to his friends. So it's a it's a same universe recasting. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it's I a feel like his, By the way, I feel like his friends would call him Thunderbolt. Like, if you had a choice really? of calling your friend Thaddeus or Thunderbolt, like, I would personally go for Thunderbolt. You make a compelling case. Is it anyway. Thaddeus or Taddeus? It's Thaddeus, isn't it? I don't know. Okay. I don't think it's Taddeus. Win a date with Tad Ross isn't really a film that I would watch. <laughs> Who? What? <laughs> Hamilton? Yeah. But his, if, it was, if his name was Taddeus, oh, I see, Tad, I see. Okay. And his name yeah. is Ross. I was like, I thought you'd, you'd lost a run of yourself. Though. No. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so it was a leap too far there, clearly. Do we, do we think that Tad Hamilton is short for Thaddeus Hamilton? Yes. Thaddeus Thunderbolt Hamilton. <laughs> yep. His name is that Thunderbolt is 100% Hamilton. His name. <laughs> My name is Thaddeus <laughs> Tad Hamilton. <laughs> okay, There's a anyway, million yes. things I haven't done. <laughs> yes. But just you wait just for you our wait. date. <laughs> just you wait. Uh, yes, what, uh, yes, this is the news that Harrison Ford has joined the MCU. It has now been officially confirmed. It was rumoured last week, just after the podcast went up, because Kevin Feige, Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, uh, is constantly monitoring when we're about to put a podcast up mm. and then goes, right, now release the news, release the movie news. Harrison Ford is going to replace William Hurt as General Thunderbolt Ross, who, of course, has been seen in the MCU in a largely supporting role. Mm-hmm. Uh, first seen in The Incredible Hulk. And then back in Civil War, seen most recently in Black Widow. Uh, very, very briefly also in, in Infinity War uh, as well. And so the fact that they've gone for such a heavy hitter in Harrison Ford indicates that General Thunderbolt Ross is going to play a much bigger role in things going forward. Maybe. Um, 
Yeah, maybe. We, Although, we, I mean, there there is precedent for them casting big names in small roles, so who can say? Who can but say? But it is exciting, who, yeah. Who's the biggest name they've cast in the smallest role? So far, I would argue um, Michelle Pfeiffer has not had a big role. Robert example. Redford. No, Robert Redford. It was a big role in Winter Soldier. He was the he was the bad guy of that film. He didn't have a lot of screen time, though, did he? Yeah, that's fair. I think he, he did all right. He had some he had some major scenes with Chris Evans and, and Sam Jackson and you know Jenny Agutter and Jim from Neighbours. So he he was doing very very well for himself. <laughs> I think he was doing okay. Uh, but I I think this is this is major casting. I think that he's going to show up apparently in Captain America: New World Order, which is the next. Captain America film, the one that will focus on Sam Wilson. And they might be setting him up in terms of, you know, what's his involvement like with Thunderbolts, mm-hmm. the the anti-hero group movie that is going to come out in 2024. Uh, is he going to be set up as more of an antagonist than he kind of has been so far? And of course, there is a big Red Hulk-shaped elephant in the room because in the comics, Thunderbolt Ross eventually becomes Red Hulk. Oh, really? Yes, I didn't know that. I heard about this on the internet and I'm confused. So, uh, what? (laughs) If you can't beat him, join him to beat him is basically what he does. And so he, he, uh, he becomes, through reasons I can't remember, he becomes Red Hulk. And it was a bit like Lady Thor in the comic books. There was a big mystery for a long, long time about who this incredibly powerful antagonist was. And then they revealed it was Thunderbolt Ross who hates Bruce Banner and hates the Hulk and, and wanted to take him out and decided he, that the only way to do that was to become a Hulk himself. I really struggle to imagine Harrison Ford wanting to play that. I, I would love I would love <laughs> to see him in full mocap with dots on his face, just Hollywood's grouchiest man, just <laughs> oh, putting bloody dots on my face. Um, that's, that's what he would sound That is like. exactly what he'd sound Exactly. Like. He might be the only person who's angrier offset than he is <laughs> as the Hulk. No, only kidding, of course. He, listen, you know, he's, he's obviously he's 80 now and he might be looking to do cool stuff. Obviously, he's going to be, be paid pretty well for this gig, I'm sure. But the idea of doing mocap, if indeed that's where this goes at his stage of life, might be really fun for him, possibly. But if it is just him in a suit barking orders at Sam Wilson... Uh, then I'm also okay with I'm, that. I'm okay with that. You yeah, know, with a big mustache, pointing his finger, he'll get to do the Harrison Ford finger point <gasps> at some <laughs> oh point, God. jabbing liberally in the direction. When I came home, there was a man in my house. He had a mechanical harm. You find that man. You find that man. It's like, well, oh, it's Bucky, so isn't it? Good. It's obviously Bucky. Yeah, yes. It's clearly Bucky. <laughs> oh my God. This all comes together. <laughs> oh. oh my God. Oh my word. I love it so much. Yes. So Harrison Ford is General Ross. That's not the most surprising bit of casting news, though, I would say, this week. Wow. Bring it. Big Liam has a new job. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Oh, yeah. Arkin, he's playing Frank Drebin. Yes. In The Naked Gun. Well, is he actually playing... I, I thought he was playing, like, a descendant of Frank Drebin. Not... So, like, Francis Drebin Jr. Yeah, I think... I think I Either don't way. Think... Either way. Yes. Yeah, either, either way. way. Yes. It's like his, his, his ability to completely reinvent his on-screen persona every X amount of years is extraordinary to me. Like he sort of kick-started the whole Jerry action movement and now he's going into Jerry spoofery? I don't know. But whatever it is, I, I, I'm first in the queue to see it. I, I love this for him. I he is he can be funny. Remember Good Cop, Bad Cop in the Lego movies. Remember Dairy Girls. I was gonna avoid spoiling it, but yes, <laughs> um, you know he he can be a very funny guy, and I think he quite enjoys poking fun at his own like macho man persona. And 
I, I feel like this could maybe be good. I hope it will be. I think this is the culmination of an ancient prophecy foretold in <laughs> his amazing cameo. I, I, I tweeted it again the other day whenever this news broke. Uh, and I'll explain what the news exactly is in a second. But the, <laughs> the, when this news broke, there, I tweeted the amazing moment in Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's Life's Too Short, uh, which was focused around Warwick Davis. And there's a scene in that where Warwick Davis is meeting Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant in her offices and they're basically like, oh, can you get out? Because Liam Neeson's arrived. And Liam Neeson walks in, just absolutely no bullshit, no nonsense, doesn't even say hello, just sits down and says, I want to do more comedy. I'm, I'm, a, very, I'm a very funny man, I'm a die, which is you know, <laughs> such a Northern Irish thing to say. Uh, and, and then he proceeds to take out a list of things he wants to do. Stand up, improv, crazy characters, parody, and pretty much all of those he has since done, yeah. with mm-hmm. the, the exception possibly of improv and stand up. And I do not ever want to see Liam Neeson do stand up, uh, tripod or no tripod. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's such a funny scene. And then he proceeds to do improvisation with Ricky Trevahis and Stephen Merchant, which, which goes to some extraordinarily dark places. And from that moment on, Hollywood kind of did start casting him and stuff. You know, Seth MacFarlane cast him in, you know, that awful film I walked out of, the one with the, the horses. What was it called? Eight Million Ways to Die or something like that? In the, in the West. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that wasn't great. Not Eight yeah. Million Ways to Die. That's a Jeff Bridges film. One uh, million ways? How many? Ten million ways? Something like that. A great a, number of, day, of ways to die I think in the West. It's just a million. Is it a, a million? million? Just yeah. one million. A million ways to die a in the West. That's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever that film was called, he was in it. And he's in Anchorman 2, along with Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. He's in the, the big battle at the end where Harrison Ford turns into a were hyena. <laughs> 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 Come on. Um, spoiler for Anchorman 2. And yeah, I, I, I think he's got this really lovely deadpan sense of humour, does, does he, Big Yeah, Liam. And you know, Leslie Nielsen started off as a, as yep. a serious actor. Yep. There is no reason you can't do it. Uh, this is all coming from um, Akiva Schaefer, who most recently did Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which was bloody inspired. Mm. So you have to hope that he's got something up his sleeve to, to reignite the naked gun. Yes, and of course it's part of the Lonely Island and, mm-hmm. you know, it's responsible for pop star Never Stop, Never, never Stopping. Stop, never Stopping. And, and uh, Hot Rod. So, yeah. you know, if you're talking about modern comedy, Mount Rushmore's, ooh, that's mm. a conversation we cool. maybe have in a, in a future. Beans. Please never ask yes. me to create my comedy Mount no, Rushmore. No, we won't. I would I love that. Can't what even what would your comedy Mount Rushmore be, Jimbo? I just don't It would be a sandcastle that he could trample under his feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'd, 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 you know, I'd, first of all, I'd need to find four comedies I like. That would be a struggle. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be tough. It would be tough. You are a very singular man, James yeah. Dyer. Uh, anyway, yes, I'm excited about this. This, of course, is something that Paramount have been trying to get off the ground for a long, long time, uh, a reboot of The Naked Gun. It's a various people attached to it as a star over the years. Most recently, Ed Helms was attached to it. I think that's where the son of Frank Drebin thing came from. Mm. That hasn't been 100% confirmed yet. He might just be playing Frank Drebin again. So we shall see. But uh, yeah, Akiva Schaefer is a man who knows his way around gags. And that's what you need for a naked gun movie. It's not just simply just doing parodies of movies. That wasn't really what the first movie was doing. It was a parody of an entire genre. That's where people kind of miss, uh, you know, these dreadful people who do things like Epic Movie and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. They miss that that's what those films Airplane and Top Secret Naked Gun were about. They were parodies of feels rather than specific scenes. And then once they started getting into parodies of specific scenes, that's when the Law of Diminishing Returns kicked in a little bit. I agree. Speaking of possibly Law of Diminishing Returns, but hopefully not, there is a Twister sequel 
in development. <laughs> Twister. So, 1996. Twister. <laughs> Um, so that was, of course, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt uh, chasing tornadoes through yeah. the Midwest with the Andabont directing. Um, this is going to be called Twisters. So it's an alien, aliens. Because kind of climate thing. change means they're all over the place. Sure. I, I'm sure it has a, a deep political <laughs> message like that and isn't just an excuse to have cows flying through the air. Um, <laughs> Will there be sharks in the tornadoes? One can only hope. <laughs> Mark L. Smith, uh, who wrote The Revenant, is doing the script, which is not instantly an obvious choice, but I'm sure there's a very good reason behind it. Wow. And apparently it will be focused on the daughter of Hunt and Paxton's characters. So, uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg apparently loves the script. Twisters. I freaking love Twister. I will say that. I Did really you? loved it. I, I thought it was terrible. No, I had a I had a very good time. There was a flying cow. A flying cow. It was it was a visual event movie at the time though, wasn't it? Like at the time it was like, wow, look at the effects, look at the flying cows. Like it was it was kind of a you had to go and see it for that. It, yeah, and it had like Carrie Elwes as a baddie tornado chaser, which is <laughs> right? just, it's not a thing you think exists really in the world, but here we are. And any film with Bill Paxton is instantly a classic. Exactly. So, yeah. Yes, he never made a bad film. No, he didn't. That's a fact. That is a fact. Um, yeah, I'm not excited about this, but but let's see. Ooh, wind, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Anything else? Yes, a Creed 3 trailer. Oh, I um, haven't seen this yet. I haven't had time I to see it. I haven't watched it either. I'm oh, so well, excited. You all suck. But, uh, I saw the poster. <laughs> I saw the posters, which is basically, you know, there's the posters two posters. And, one of, yeah. um, uh, obviously, Michael B. Jordan, who's directing this as mm-hmm. well, making his directorial debut, and Jonathan Majors. Mm-hmm. And the man is abbed up, the John man, the Majors. The man has not skipped anything day. I mean, <laughs> except for maybe eating carbs day. He's mm. yeah. That both of them are in. I think it's uncontroversial to say superb physical sta- um, shape. Much like myself. <laughs> anyway, so uh, <laughs> so yeah, this is basically Creed is on top of the world. You know cover of Forbes magazine, doing really well. And then someone from his past comes back to haunt him in the shape of uh, Jonathan Majors, Damian Anderson, who's basically a friend when they were kids who's been off, sent to prison uh, for years in between and is now back looking to make his mark on the world. I I think this looks to be like fantastic sort of blokey melodrama and I'm super here for it. So low key melodrama. Is low key blow. Oh, I think you said low key melodrama. I thought that's because no, it's be he high who remains key. was in it. And yeah, obviously, no. oh, that would have been. Yeah. No, no, I should have done something with that, but I didn't. Yeah, as Ben texted us whenever those pictures of Jonathan Majors uh, hit the the internet, uh, it's not so much Kang the Conqueror, more like Dang the Conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> My word. Uh, but yes, I'm excited about that. I uh, this, of course, is the first. Rocky movie to have no Rocky in it mm-hmm. uh, I think at all I don't think Sly Stallone is going to be in this at all and I'm actually okay with that because what else were they going to do with that character with that relationship mm-hmm. yeah so it's going to be interesting this is this is Michael B. Jordan this is Adonis Creed standing on his own two feet I love the first two Creed movies unreservedly I think they are just absolutely tremendous even if the finale of Creed does take place at Goodison Park in Liverpool. Um, clearly, Anfield was busy that night hosting a winning football team. Anyway, <laughs> I, I haven't been able to make that joke all season, so please, <laughs> just, 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 let, just let me make that joke. Uh, but yeah, I'm massively excited about this. What about you guys? Oh yeah, I, I mean, th- these films are just great and I'm excited to see what Michael B. Jordan as director looks like. Mm. Mm. Like that is, that is a new wrinkle that... Um, 
he he's tweeted about how this is like a super personal story for him. You know, he's put a lot of himself into it. Um, so I'm very intrigued to see what that looks like, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Creed movies. Huge, huge sort of like, they're energizing. They're real kind of punch the air type films when you come out. So uh, I, could, I could do with a bit of that. Actually. Mm, yeah. I, I need energizing. Usually, yeah. Please energize me. He said in a really low key kind of, <laughs> someone switched him off. Someone recharged James. Yes, uh, please plug me in. Anything else? Uh, there was a big story in The Hollywood Reporter that came out recently about the state of DC uh, on screen because... Yeah, there was. It's still without... It's, they're still looking for their Kevin Feige. They're still looking for their leader. And they don't have one. And in the vacuum, all sorts of shit is going down. One of those things I, I wouldn't, uh, that is potentially going down is a new James Gunn project. Uh, he wants to make one more movie in the DCU don't know what that is, if it's another Suicide Squad movie, but he is apparently working on something. There's loads of other stuff happening, though. Potentially a new Henry Cavill film. Uh, mm-hmm. Potentially the new J.J. Um, Abrams uh, Superman with Tanahisi Coates writing the script. That is apparently still on in the works. Uh, there is more Batman stuff happening. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's a whole thing. There was a story this week that the it's the Batman stuff that seems to be more actively happening. In that Matt Reeves, who obviously wrote and directed the Batman, has I guess since been handed the keys to the Bat Kingdom. He's obviously developing uh, actively developing this this Penguin spinoff for Colin Farrell to star in, which apparently will start filming next year. So that's eight more episodes of Colin Farrell, um, which is never a bad thing. Nope. And he's obviously directing or or developing a sequel to the Batman, which will have more R bats. But he's also apparently been meeting with writers and directors this week to take pitches for spin-off movies. I imagine with with budgets to match uh, their their profile of Batman bad guys. And if anyone's listened to the podcast when we talk about Batman in the past, when you know Amon will often say this as well, Batman has the, probably the greatest rogues gallery in all of comics mm. I mean you could argue Spider-Man you could argue the X-Men but it's probably Batman and so there's a lot of scope there obviously there's the the, the, the biggies most of whom we've seen on the big screen in, in one form or another but there are loads of really obscure Batman villains some of them are really really fucking stupid that you could possibly mine for 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 a uh, for a movie, so yeah, it's it's all very interesting and exciting. The, the James Gunn thing, he's talked about this openly. He's talked about the idea that he's, but he's never said what it was or what it is. But he said like, you know, you know, this is I've got an idea for a DC movie, and it'll be after I do Peacemaker, season two. So yeah, ah, uh, I I don't know. It still seems to be a little bit up in the air. They're still looking for a Feige type figurehead, and obviously, there was a the whole fallout with a new guy taking over and Warner Brothers Discovery. David Saslav and everything that happened with Batgirl and all the terrible, frankly, decisions that, that have been made since. And there's maybe a sense that they're trying to reclaim mm. some ground and maybe trying to show to filmmakers that, don't worry, we're not just going to shelve your film for a tax write-off. Uh, that's not going to happen. You can trust us. So come and talk to us and we'll, we'll entertain you. I feel like they've moved away from the whole DCEU model of trying to kind of ape the the Marvel Universe, where they were going to focus on individual projects and keep them within their own well, worlds and focus on them. They, they had, and then the, the new guy came in and was like, we need to have that. Show me the money. And I, yeah. I, I do wonder, because Warner Brothers does seem Warner. like quite a volatile studio that maybe yeah. 
a new guy will come along and just want to wipe the slate clean yeah, and I mean, create his own MCU, which is all connected. But I know. like the fact that the Batman has a different flavour yeah, from the totally. Suicide Squad, and I actually think it's 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 a benefit that you have a variety in there, which, yeah. to be fair, I think Marvel have actually done a decent job of mixing things up in the MCU, but certainly one of the things that is levelled at those films is they are all a bit samey, uh, which I disagree with, but I see where people are coming from, which I actually quite like the fact that you know, it's a complete crapshoot in the DC universe yeah. at the moment. It can be absolutely anything. The tone could be anything. The quality could be anything. You never know what you're going to get from those films. Uh, I suppose that's a this mixed is, bag. But this is this is the upside and the downside. So the downside of the MCU model is that basically everything is a 12A slash yeah. PG-13. Yeah. And, uh, and you're kind of locked into that to make it fit the overall ethos of the universe. Uh, the advantage of the DC model, by contrast, is you can have a The Suicide mm. Squad and you can also have a Wonder Woman, you know, yeah. and there's there's a very mu- different tone and a different audience um, that they're aiming at. Uh, and I thought the Black Adam, I mean, I wrote this in the review, but like I feel like Black Adam is trying to thread the needle between the two a little yeah. bit and be both violent and family-friendly. The problem with the each every man for himself kind of model of DC is that it makes it does make it harder to cross over these characters. Yeah. And that does make it harder to launch the obscure character if you don't have the familiar fan favorite who can come in and do a cameo mm. and who you can build your campaign around. So I think that's what they're struggling with. They want the that upside without being locked into this similar tone. I wonder if you have a strong enough vision and a strong enough script whether you can launch a kind of a crazy obscure character in isolation and just make it a great thing. I mean, who knows? I get, well, that's I what get, they're trying yeah. they're trying essentially. From a funding point of view, I'm sure it's much easier if you can launch that character in a Superman movie or whatever, but I don't know. And equally like we're talking about, you know, the homogeneity of of, of Marvel stuff. I'm going to be interested to see what they now do with Deadpool. Now they have a character mm-hmm. that doesn't fit into that 12A model. And actually, can those things co- coexist? Can Deadpool be like really edgy, out there, full-on adult? And then do you need to cross him over? And then if you do cross him over, can you tone him down for his crossover appearances? Yeah. But then, <laughs> you know, the kid who goes and sees like what Avengers 4 or whatever it is, 5, 6, 7, 8. Well, Avengers are we on now? 6? Uh, We're going to be 5. 5. Yes. Avengers 5. And so, Who's that guy? I'll watch some of his other films. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy what's a fuck puppet? No, just absolutely not. <laughs> Daddy, what's cocaine? <laughs> don't like that you don't know. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, back up uh, this week's quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but this is it. I mean, look, Marvel is kind of struggling with this, as you say, yeah. going ahead. Blade also. Blade. Laser. Laser. There we Blazer. <laughs> so I, I think it's something that they all have to reckon with. Do you think they delayed Blade by a year so we would... Stop doing that. No. Do you think the sequel to Blade will be called Blade 2 Laser and Blade 3 Blazer? Just for us. And then number four, the name of the lady we can never remember. Michelle. Yeah, I'm, I'm my consigliere. Yeah. Michelle. <laughs> my consigliere, Michelle. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Happy days. Happy oh. fun times. Do you reckon anyone listening to this podcast has actually seen Dodgeball and thus understands that joke? No, but thankfully we explain it every time we do it, so we're, we're good. Uh, so I've seen Dodgeball like... Two or three times, and I don't remember this joke. And it's when it's when it's when White Goodman introduces his dodgeball team, yeah. and his Dude. his players are all these like yeah. blandly handsome, extremely muscular men yeah. called Bleed, Laser, Blazer, right. the Globo Gym Purple Cobras. Yes, right. Thank yeah. you. He, he introduces them to Peter Lefleur and the Average Joes. We should say that we are recording this podcast on Wednesday rather than our usual Thursday, so there's every possibility that some huge news will drop over the next two days. Uh, If so, we will try to address it and try and get back in to re-record something. Uh, But we're going to finish off now with some very, very sad news. 
You mentioned Blackadder earlier on because I saw on Twitter today that someone can't stop singing Black Adam to the tune of Black Adder and now it's in my head forever and will never leave and I will do exactly the same thing. Uh, and of course, Robbie Coltrane, oh. who mm. passed away this week at the age of 72, far too young. Mm. The great Robbie Coltrane was brilliantly in, in Black Adder, very briefly. Uh, and so passed away this week, Robbie Coltrane, star of... Cracker, one of the greatest TV shows of all time, yeah. phenomenally good actor and comedian. Hagrid, of course, in the Harry Potter movies. Valentin Zukovsky. Valentin Zukovsky. <laughs> Who can forget? GoldenEye and The World Is Not Enough, one of the great Bond supporting characters for me and, of course, for James. A uh, single yes. tear rolling down both cheeks, yes. uh, if you can imagine such a thing, because Robbie Coltrane was the star of James's beloved Nuns <gasps> on the Run. Wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I can confirm he was. <laughs> <laughs> Spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch. That's it. Uh, Charlie McManus. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it, it was undoubtedly the high point of his career and indeed most people's career. Certainly everyone who was involved in that comedy masterpiece, that would be on my route, Mount wow. Rushmore. Watching right it, there. Watching 100%. it, it's the of my career. And, you know, Jonathan Lynn <laughs> Jonathan Lynn on my, my Mount Rushmore. My cousin Finney. Also brilliant. And he Clue. might actually be on my Rushmore just for those two. Really? Oh, Jonathan yeah. Lynn? Yeah. And of course, prime uh, yes minister and yes prime minister. He okay, that would get him onto my Rushmore. I'm not sure about the other stuff, but um, well, Clue, Clue uh, gets you on. Okay, Clue, yeah. Rushmore. Well, okay, maybe, Doesn't but it? yes, minister is sublime. Anyway, the point was we were talking about Robbie. Yes, Coltrane, yes, we were. We who, were. Who uh, is is yeah was a, a delight of a human being by all accounts, yeah. as well as being a great actor. I think there's an entire generation who are mourning him as Hagrid, but his career went so far yeah. beyond that. I will say though, however, when we did the um, Harry Potter sort of retrospective when the final film came out, um, I was in New York for a bit, and we were doing um, some photo shoots out there with some of the cast. Um, who were working there at the time. And we did a photo shoot with Michael Gambon and Robbie Coltrane together. And it was one of the funniest mornings of my life. The two of them just like swapping stories with each other, telling off-color jokes. He told one off-color joke about uh, a, a young, naive Irish couple called Mary and she Seamus, which happens to be my parents' names. <laughs> um, and, and when told this, he just doubled down on the dirty joke. So Is this a was, joke you can repeat on the Empire podcast? Um, uh, I, honestly, I wouldn't do it justice. The aristocrats. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't quite that. But um, but no, he was he was a delight of a human yeah. being and um, and just a huge talent across mm. so many different genres, different kinds of movies and TV, and especially Cracker, which I know James, you yeah. just stand. I first met him for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and he was charming and delightful and talked all about that but I and genuinely and all of all the people I've interviewed I have rarely been as starstruck as I was when I met Robbie Coltrane because for me Cracker is just one of the great performances across any medium I've, I've it is an extraordinary role written by Jimmy McGovern but just him in it he is so fucking good so good uh, and I, I was obsessed with it when I was at university. So when I first met him, I was like, it's Fitz, it's Fitz. <laughs> and then I got to interview him for Cracker 9-11, which was the sort of belated final installment of that as well, which was just an absolutely like, really, really lovely man, really thoughtful, really interesting, really considerate. He was he was just wonderful and a, a huge loss. I was uh, absolutely gutted when I saw the news that he'd passed. Mm. 72, that was one, no age yeah. at all. No, absolutely not. And it was interesting. I remember I only met him once very, very briefly at the LFF when we were doing 50 blog episodes a few years ago. Uh, I don't even remember what film it was for. Maybe The Brothers Bloom? Maybe. 
but uh, he was he was a lovely guy in in our in our two minute interaction. But he seemed to be just as you know this wonderful larger than life figure who took loads of people under his wing. I mean, you just have to see how the the kids from Harry Potter spoke about him in our tributes this week. You know, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and. One of the stories Daniel Radcliffe told over the years was about how in one of the early Harry Potter movies they took Robbie Coltrane's phone and changed the settings to Turkish uh, and then he couldn't figure out how to turn his phone back again and he was he was, uh, he was per- perplexed by that, shall we say. Those little imps, those little imps in the Harry Potter films. And you can just imagine what it was like on the, on the set, those kids who must have been, you know, just so in danger of becoming overawed and worn down by the whole process and you know, you get the sense that the adults very much gathered around and, and stopped that from happening your Rickmans and your Maggie Smiths and Emma Thompson and, and Robbie Coltrane yeah. uh, obviously so yeah really really sad loss, loss. Yeah. what a loss go and watch some episodes of Cracker go and watch some Pierce Brosnan films if you want to watch that <laughs> if you want to watch some Pierce Brosnan films this might be a nice way to segue into our first guest this week uh, but yeah go and watch the episode of Blackout of the Third in which he appears as Samuel Johnson, the uh, the compiler of the dictionary. Uh, Robbie Coltrane passed away this week at the age of 72. And as I said, he was very memorable in two Pierce Brosnan James Bond films and that brings us very, very neatly to our first guest this week who is, of course, Pierce Brosnan, Bronholm himself, a star of so many legendary movies, including Live Wire, the film in which he crams an exploding clown into a wheelchair at a kid's party and then rams him into a hot dog truck. It's its quite phenomenal. I've, I've never seen Livewire. I really want to because that clip surfaced on social media a few weeks ago and people were going, have you seen this? This film is deranged. Ah, uh, Pierce. Love it. Uh, he's a legend. He is Pierce Ruddy Brosnan and he is back, back, back on the big screen this week as Dr. Fate, who is basically DC's Dr. Strange, but before Dr. Strange, if that makes any sense, uh, in Black Adam, Black Adam, Black Adam, which is, of course, the the movie that will change the balance of power in the DC universe or the hierarchy of power in the DC universe, uh, (laughs) starring Dwayne the John Roxon as Black Adam, uh, an anti-hero who is woken up after a 5,000 year slumber and starts punching things. That's my understanding of of what happens. And Pierce Brosnan is along for the ride as Dr. Fate. Uh, We sent along Amon Warman earlier on this week to have a good old natter with Pierce Brosnan. I haven't heard it yet, but I, I am told it was a fun interview. So here we go. Judge for yourselves. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Black Adam, Mr. Pierce Brosnan. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Man. <laughs> nice to chat with you about Black Adam and Dr. Fate. Yes, great to chat with you too. Uh, I really loved your portrayal of Dr. Fate in this movie. So first of all, congrats on that. Um, but when you were first delving into this character, what was it that made you really want to play him? Oh, the fascination with a man who's dealing with death, dying, his own immortality. Uh, the fascination of a man who can foresee the future. Uh, the fascination of a man who belongs to the JSA, the Justice Society of America. My sons are great aficionados of the comic book world. I have a, I have a, you know, I've always had an interest in them from the graphic side of the artwork, being a painter, uh, and, and just the beauty of the artwork and the sophistication of the artwork. So there were many ingredients. I think uh, Kent Nelson 
aka Dr. Fate, met me at a good time in life. As for my mature years that are now creeping on apace, uh, and that he is the elder of the, the group. He is the powerful sorcerer. Uh, so there were, there were those uh, emblems. Then there was the script, which I thought was very nuanced, and I thought it worked on many different levels, uh, politically, culturally, and subtly and not so subtly at times. But the storytelling was was rich. And then, of course, you have Dwayne Johnson, who's this monolithic movie star now, and he, he fits the build so, so well. Yeah. Jamo Colette Sarah, the director, uh, whose work I know uh, through my good friend Liam Neeson. And so there were many, many ingredients to my saying yes. I was deeply honored. I always uh, wondered if I would be offered such a role in one of these epic movies. And, uh, you know, um, I'm thrilled uh, to be offered such a role and to play this role. One of the things that's really interesting about Dr. Faye and specifically Kent Nelson is that it's a bit of a blessing as well as a curse, uh, which I find very interesting. Um, and in your mind, does Kent Nelson enjoy being Dr. Fate more than being Count N Kent Nelson? Or is it the other way around for you? I think Kent, you know, is burdened with the helmet of fate the the amulet of animus and the cloak of destiny he as a young boy back in the day in the 20s you know was with his father on an archaeological dig the myth goes and the young kent nelson pulled the lever pushed a button which released this poisonous gas and his father passed away so you start with this terrible burden and ownership and onus of his father's death. And th that's, a, that's an interesting aspect of his char character to carry forth as, a, a, as, a, as, a, as an actor. But hmm, I think it's a burden, it's a, it's a blessing and it's a curse. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a responsibility, it's a deep responsibility that he takes wholeheartedly. And so you you start with Kent and <laughs> you start with the man of who you are as an actor and you bring your own life force to it. You read the script and you imagine and you read the script, you sit with it and you try to portray it as honestly and with as much sincerity and heart as possible. When fate is doing his magic thing, uh, obviously when you're doing it, you can't see it. As it's happening, no. how was that described to you, and how much thought were you putting into the movement and what Doctor Fate is doing when he's in magic mode? There's, this uh, f film is vast, and uh, the shooting of it took place on these majestic stages in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so you would be portraying a certain scene and Jama Collette would bring you over to the monitors. There was a full kind of NASA-like NASA uh, computer bank and they would show you what your movement, your gestures, your spell casting, uh, how it would translate on the film. It was pretty simple. I mean, it's, okay. it's, uh, 
you know, you, you have various hand gestures that you use, uh, which have been created and we've seen many a time in other movies. Um, but it was fairly simple, fairly straightforward. Did you grow to love your mocap suit? Or as, as Mark <laughs> Ruffalo calls it, he calls it the man-canceling suit. I'm not sure <laughs> if you feel similarly. Oh, it takes, it takes a lot of courage and humility and humor to wear a mocap suit. Uh, and I gave them all a great laugh on the day when I entered onto a very fast soundstage dressed as, uh, as, as in my mocap suit. But, you know, being an actor and having started in the theater and done dance and mime, I'm used to such uh, hijinks, as it were, in the world of costumes. I love what they can do with it. I mean, it's so exhilarating. And my suit was beautifully rendered. So it paid off. <laughs> We're talking about the blessing and the curse aspect of being Dr. Fate. You've been an actor in this business a while now. There's a lot of blessings that being an actor gives you. What are the side effects uh, of being an actor, the negatives that you've come across, and how do you deal with them? Oh, listen, I have nothing but gratitude for the career that I've, uh, I've crafted for myself and worked hard at and the good fortune I've had and with finding roles throughout my career that stimulate me and motivate me to make a living for myself and provide for my family. Mm. It's a very capricious game being an actor. There's only the upside, especially if you have success and you have good fortune and you try and keep your feet firmly on the ground, look after your family and friends and enjoy the world at large and celebrate your work. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Uh, but that's just, the, that's just the way it is if you're an artist. Fate has the ability to see into the future. Now that you've lived uh, how you've lived, if you could tell your younger self who's just starting in the industry, if you give, can give him one piece of advice, what would it be? Get a good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. I don't know how original it is, but trust yourself, be good to yourself, be kind to yourself, show up on time, do the work, preparation, preparation, um, and have lots of laughs along the way. If we do get to learn more about Dr. Fate in future DC films, is there any aspect of him that you're eager to dive more into? I haven't begun to think of such notions as where we'd like to go. Uh, nothing, nothing that I can really articulate. Uh, I think right now we have to just give the world Black Adam, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Adam Smasher, Cyclone, I think the people will decide. The people always let you know when it works. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think this is a feast of a beast of a film. I think it works on so many levels, but it's, it's, it's great entertainment. Mm -hmm. And the special effects are stunning. And I love that it, it, it has such a 
such a romantic quality of storytelling and that you can see the comic book almost of the certain shots that are taken right from a comic book, the tight close-ups. I'd love to learn more about uh, Dr. Fate's life with his wife, because uh, I think uh, you're wearing a wedding ring, or you're wearing a ring all the way through this film. I, I believe that's your actual ring, right? This is the ring. This is my wedding ring that uh, I married my wife, Keely, with. And this is the watch that she gave me uh, with the inscription, Time Flies on Love's <laughs> Wings. So I, you know, he was married and I thought, well, I'll just keep these as beautiful talisman for my character in this ring. Uh, Kurt and Bart, who are the costumers, uh, I said I'd like a ring of some sort. And they found this majestic, gorgeous agate ring, very old, with hieroglyphics, Egyptian hieroglyphics. Mm. Uh, so, and I do have a silver bangle, which... Uh, it's a wonderful piece of art, Haida, Haida art. So I, I, I wore those in the movie and they seem to work. But I would love to know more about his wife, who in some respects is even more powerful than him. I love that you've done your research. I'm, I'm very impressed. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. That's yeah. good of you to yeah. say so. I mean, I, I guess with a role like this, because with Bond, you had previous actors' experiences and work to draw from. Here, you're only the second live-action incarnation of it, the first in uh, a film. Was that freeing for you to be in that position or more of a daunting thing to be the first? It, it wasn't daunting, no. It was exhilarating. Making the movie was just so dynamically brilliant every day in the company of my fellow actors. Mm. And, you know, the joy of these being part of movies like this, whether it be Black Adam or James Bond, you look at the script, you read the script, and you think, how in God's name are they going to do this? And being a fan of of both genre of movie, you get to celebrate it. You get to walk onto a soundstage and go, aha, mm -hmm. this is how the magic happens. So I'm as much of a fan as you are, and the people are out there. And, you know, I think that's the joy of being an actor, to be able to traverse so many time periods and time zones in the education that it gives you to be able to delve into the DC comic book world and Dr. Fate and explore it and share it with my, my sons. You know, that's a real, a real kick in the pants. <laughs> uh, we unfortunately lost Robbie Coltrane uh, earlier this week. And Watching uh, GoldenEye and The World Is Not Enough, the scenes that you have with him are some of my favorites in those movies. What do you remember about uh, acting with him in those moments? And did you stay in touch after those films? I was deeply saddened by the loss of Robbie Coltrane. He and I started from day one on GoldenEye. Mm. He was he was rock steady there. He was such a joy of, of a man. He had such humanity and humor and grace. Goldeneye, day one, um, Valentine's Lair, Mini Driver, who's a good pal. She's up on stage singing Stand By Your Man mm -hmm. with a Russian accent in hot pants. And the very first scene is the camera starts on Robbie Coltrane 
coming down and into a into a room, and I'm behind the the velvet curtain, and I point the Walter PPK at his head, and he says, "Only three men in the world use that weapon, <laughs> and I've killed two of them." <laughs> his accent was much better, than that. <laughs> but. Uh, I loved Robbie. I, 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 I loved Robbie as as a as a fan. Loves an actor, man of his stature. Very sad to see him pass, and he was wonderful as Hagrid and just adorable and great and sexy as Cracker. Women loved him. <laughs> you know, he had such a style about him in a way, and very funny man. Heaven's going to be very happy. Absolutely. Final question for you. Um, the Thomas Crown Affair is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I love it. And the final heist scene uh, where you, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just amazing. It's, it's so classy and clever. I was wondering if you had any memories of filming that scene where so many people are dressed like you. Because uh, that, that scene is just one of my favorites. Probably the best use of Nina Simone in the film as well. Yes, I love Nina Simone. Love that lady's voice work and what what she stood for as a as a passionate artist. Uh, so did John McTiernan. We both came to it at the same moment, and he'd already started cutting in his cutting the picture in his head to Cinnamon. I'm a painter, so I love the work of Rene Magritte. And it's why I wanted to make the movie, really. Uh, my late producing partner, Beau-Marie St. Clair, uh, she and I hit on the notion of a coffee one morning. We both live in Malibu. She knew Steve McQueen. We both loved the Thomas Crown Affair and thought there was an angle for me in there with uh, the success of GoldenEye and my portrayal of James Bond. Uh, I had the deal at MGM. We went to MGM and they said, yes, go make it. And I wanted to steal a work of art. They wanted diamonds or gold, but that just didn't connect with me. You know, stealing a Monet was hitting the Metropolitan Museum. Stealing a Monet was just rich texture of, of storytelling. Um the, it was written with men in bowler hat and uh, not not bowler hats in straw hats, boaters, and check jackets. And I was first night in New York. I had a gorgeous apartment. I was with my family, and there was a book on Rene Magritte, and there were the men of Magritte's world, the men in bowler hats, and it had just such a crisp uniformity there of the long coats, the red ties, the bowler hats. And I said, John, what about this? And he said, brilliant, love it. <laughs> Simple oh. as that. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Piers Bosnan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. All the best. All right, so that was Bronholm himself. That was Piers Brosnan. And now it is time to get into the week's movie reviews, the films that are out on your multiplex and indeed on your sofaplex this week. Shall we start with Black Adam? Full disclosure, I haven't seen it myself. I am very excited to hear from those who have. Hell's Bells. Yeah, so Black Adam is the the role that The Rock was cast in about 
59 years ago. Sorry, like, <laughs> like 10 years ago. And they've been sort of noodling it about ever since. He's um, originally a Shazam villain turned anti-hero. Um, story goes that The Rock didn't want him introduced as a sort of post-credit sting or anything in Shazam, that it was important to him that he get his own launch, but you will see common threads to Shazam in this film at various points. So we have an incredibly long and slightly uh, overcooked, for my money, prologue set uh, 2600 BC or BCE, if you prefer, uh, which ends up with Teth Adam uh, becoming superpowered and fighting a, a baddie king who wants to create a crown and use it for reasons to do bad stuff, uh, which I won't spoil for any of you. Um, and then he sort of vanishes, and the people of his state of Kandak, um, which is kind of North African, Middle Eastern coded in ways that are perhaps slightly troubling at times, the people are left without a hero, without a champion, without a protector. So in the modern day, they are basically a state ruled by a group of mercenaries um, and they are in a bad way until Adriana, who's played by Sarah Shahi, happens upon or goes looking for rather this tomb under a mountain. And uh, she finds, wouldn't you know it, his rockness underneath. So once he's reawakened, uh, basically the superpowers of the world, and I mean that in a superhero sense, take note and send the Justice Society, led by Hawkman, played by Aldous Hodge, and Dr. Fate, played by our own Piers Brosnan, to try and, you know, get this guy under control. Now, you kind of know where this is going, right? I mean, yes, he's an anti-hero and he kills a bunch of mercenaries when he first emerges in a scene that is quite cool. This is all directed by Homie Collet Sarah and he does know how to do an action scene. And, and there's some really, really cool bits in that first kind of awakening scene where he gets to grips with modern weaponry and realizes that he's more powerful than all of it. But it's pretty obvious that, you know, at some point after they fight that him and the Justice Society are probably going to end up teaming up because basically everyone kind of means well here, um, even if Black Adam has some anger management issues. What I liked about this is that Adam himself felt did feel a bit different. It didn't feel like The Rock doing his exact usual stick. You know, he's very kind of still, he's very kind of reserved at first, barely cracks a grin for the first half of the film, you know, is very much sort of getting his head around what's happening here. They don't really explain how he learns presumably English. I don't know if it's meant to be English, but he just does. So we don't have to deal with any of that. But, you know, there, there's a definite attempt to make him a little bit different, to not just do the wisecracking Dwayne Johnson thing that we've seen in other films, what it really struggles with is what I talked about before. It's trying to once be gritty and violent and cool, and also be kid friendly. So he has a he has a friendship with with Adriana with Sarah Shahi's son, Amon, actually, hmm. and is you know, and there's a sort of like your your classic sort of you know, super powerful dude hanging out with a small kid kind of dynamic, which we've seen many many times. Is there before. an Amon guarantee? <laughs> I mean, I will guarantee that Amon is in this. Anna Amon is in this. Um, so, you know, it, it's nicely played and everything, nothing against the kid, but like it is something we've seen before and it gives you a clue that this Black Adam isn't entirely evil. He's not going to be a full bad guy. He's just going to be kind of a troublemaker. Wouldn't it have been more interesting if he had been? Maybe, yeah. And maybe it would have been more interesting if he'd just been in introduced as a Shazam villain, you know? Um, and then you could have played a little bit of a redemption arc. Oh, God help us. Again, if you, at the end, if you wanted, but I, yeah, that might have been cool. I mean, there are, there are interesting bits here. I can feel them trying to do something different. I can feel them trying to make him stand out from the rest. It just doesn't always 100% work for me. 
What about you, John? What did you think? Yeah, I, I think I would probably agree. I was maybe slightly cooler on it. I mean, it's um, the director uh, who has um, made a lot of uh, Liam Neeson films and he did Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson. You know, he's got, I guess, a special specialty in quite sort of dunderheaded but likeable action movies, a bit sort of, a little bit on the trashy side perhaps. And Things that, like non-stop. And, non-stop and unknown, I think yeah. he did. Mm. And, and the commuter. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, um, they they are what they are sort of things. Uh, I, I mean, this 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 is quite a stupid film, I would mm. say. <laughs> that's, that's fair. You yeah. shock me. <laughs> it's quite stupid and not a lot of it, it doesn't always make sense. I, I I feel like there is there are some sort of plot choices where you're just like, why 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 did that happen? Mm. But no, I, I mean I agree with you. I think I think Dwayne Johnson's actually pretty good. I think he's quite sort of steely. I mean I think you know he is a man who literally looks like a superhero. You, you often hear about actors having to buff up in the gym to play this these sort of. Yeah, and that's just Hyper his, real his Tuesday, isn't he's it? He's been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. He's he been, had to buff down. He had to, <laughs> I, th- I think they. he said that um, his original costume, They. They. T- he told the costume makers to put less padding in because he wanted to show off his his massive muscles. Um, it's it's basically like, you know, skin tight mm. uh, mus- muscle. It's like painted on. Pretty much is. Um, uh, one thing I would say, by the way, is that you can always tell whether there's a, an action scene about to start because there's a needle drop. Um, in, in ways that I sometimes find very distracting, um, but like full marks for you know going just full obvious and um, and casting one of the action scenes to paint it black when he oh, emerges. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 quite obvious in in, in lots of different ways, mm. I suppose. I mean, look, I had I had fun with it in places. I think there is some okay action. They they sort of do this, like you mentioned, this sort of morality question about what is a hero and whether Black Adam fits the bill. And I think by the end of it, he's sort of like, yeah, probably, I probably yeah, well, yeah, am I a hero. Well, yeah, I might be a hero. Yeah, I'm yeah, a reluctant know, yeah. hero, but I, yeah, <laughs> I probably am. All, all things considered, and that's fine. That's fine. It's it's you know, in in the grand scheme, I there are very few sort of proper DC films, DC EU films that I love. Uh, I, I think this is not one of the worst. I think this is probably not one of the best. Is how I yeah, that's fair. So, so we gave it three stars, which yeah. I think is. When you say we, well, me. <laughs> <laughs> and you agree with yourself? I do agree with myself. I think myself was 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 spot on with this one. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's been largely given a two star, three star kind of kicking. It's mm. on fifty five percent on the the. Tomato mutter uh, at the moment, and Metacritic's around the same, the same level. So yeah, sounds like um, uh, pretty much as expected, sadly. Mm. But uh, you know, if you want to switch your brain off, go to a, go to a film this week. Yeah, go to see that. And if you don't want to switch your brain off, we have you covered with the return of Park Chan Wook and his new movie, Decision to Leave. Jimbo, mm. you made a decision. To watch. I did, indeed. Uh, this is Park Chan-wook in his more sensitive days. Nothing in this film hits you around the face with a hammer, which was a, a, a welcome turn, I think, for me. Uh, but this one stars Tang Wei, uh, who was in Lust Caution, and she plays a suspect in a murder, which is being investigated by uh, a detective played by Go Kyung-pyo, and 
This is essentially Korea's answer to basic instinct, but I mean this in a good way. So it's kind of like one of those erotic cop thrillers, except the eroticism does not... Like Turner and Hooch. Very much like that. But it's not like sort of crazy sex all the time. It's much more sort of delicate, much more sensitive and flirtatious. There's a bit where she's, you know, showing him how to breathe properly because he suffers from insomnia. So she sort of sensitively leans in and asks him to just listen to her breath. So there's a lot of that sort of thing going on. And it's it's just this, this sort of game of cat and mouse as the two of them dance around each other. You know, yes, she's alluring. The fact that she's Chinese, she's not Korean. So she often speaks into her phone and has it translate for her so she can be properly understood. And it's, is she a lovely victim of unfortunate circumstance, or is she a big old murderer with a penchant for <laughs> killing murder. everyone? A big old murderer with oh a penchant God. for murder. Uh, and this <laughs> this plays out, and he's com- he falls for a hook, line, and sinker. I mean, to be fair to him, like he's a man who doesn't sleep, he's in a loveless marriage. Line and sinker. sinker. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a really odd film at times, but it's also beautifully, it's stunningly shot Mm. uh, and it uses this strange sort of fancy technique, which I found really discombobulating, where you're not quite sure what isn't isn't to be taken at face value. So he'll uh, discover something or learn something and you'll see the scene play out and he will appear in that scene as if he's part of it. And you're like, hang on a minute. But it's just this strange sort of fantastical storytelling device. But it's it's beautiful. There's some wonderful shots that come from inside a smartphone as well because a lot of the, the communication takes place on phone. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really lovely film, but it's also quite discombobulating and quite stressful but yeah be- beautifully shot lovely film yeah you could you could frame any shot of this you film could and put it yeah on your wall. it's, like, it's, it's stunning it's it is stunning and i think there's i mean you know to me it's less basic instinct and maybe more almost vertigo it's about obsession it's about suspicion but mm. not knowledge i mean it's not even clear it's a murder actually it could have been a that's death, true you know that's so true. it's a sort of it's a really like not not just a who done it but was something done mm. uh in the first place so it's everything is kind of you know, up for grabs, everything is unsure, unclear, and you're playing in these very grey areas. I thought it was brilliantly, brilliantly done and incredibly well acted. It People is. will be wanting to know, does it change the hierarchy of power in the DC universe? I'm going to be honest, it, it doesn't change the hierarchy of power in the DC universe, so it doesn't have that going no, it for it. All right then. Four stars then for Decision to Leave, which is on movie uh, or will be on movie soon, but it is, it is in cinemas this week. Black Adam, obviously in cinemas this week. Also in cinemas this week is a movie I'm tremendously, tremendously excited about. I'm hoping to get to see it tonight. So once again, I'm going to stand back from the microphone and let you guys talk about the Banshees of, and because I haven't seen it, I can't pronounce it. In a Sharon. In a Sharon? In a Sharon. In a Sharon. Um, the Banshees of In a Sharon. Uh, I've been away from Ireland too long. This is a return of Martin McDonough uh, and reteaming once again with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson a few years on from In Bruges. And um, it's about two friends falling out, is my understanding, from the trailer. And I cannot wait for this movie. Yeah, it's essentially a breakup movie. It's a breakup movie between two platonic early attracted men is that a how you would bro say bro cup movie yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an anti bromance movie <laughs> it's um it's 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 a really beautiful film this i think it it might almost be my favorite martin McDonough film i'm not i i need to see it again to decide if i'd like it more than in bruges but seven psychopaths at the top everyone <laughs> agrees about that <laughs> a long gap <laughs> um, it's very, very good. It's is so is, good. is the headline? It's very, very good. Uh, it it is, as you say, about two men breaking up. This set in 1923 on the fictional 
uh, West Island island of Inner Sharon. Okay, so it's fictional, right? Yeah. So, yes. so me not being able to pronounce it, that's not horrendous. I mean, it's it's Irish you, signs. It's very easy to pronounce. It's not easy to say. Fucking Saoirse. Yeah, but it's not spelled like Saoirse, is it? It's spelled like Inner Sharon. No, but... Inner Sharon. Irish words are just difficult to pronounce. They throw in I mean, I will give, I will give you the fact that Colin Farrell's character is Podrig, which is not spelled with a G. Um, How's it spelled in this one? It's like, like Podrick spelled, yeah. Like P- P-A-D-R-A-I-C. Podrick, obviously. But that's not the same as Podrick Harrington, who is, you know, but people would look at that and go, Padraig. Yeah, which would be wrong, obviously. It's but that's the thing, but I'm how do they know? Like, so I look at Inish and I go, is it Inishirin or Inishirin? Well, it wouldn't be Inishirin, would it? Like, that doesn't make any sense given, like, Irish. I don't know. The point is... Sort yourself out, Ireland, is basically what I'm saying. The point is, we we it is... Fucking brilliant! I feel like you don't want to know anything more than the plot than, yeah. about the plot than John has told you. Yes. Like if you haven't already seen the trailer, I would avoid the trailer like the plague. I didn't want to watch the trailer, but I accidentally watched it, and yeah. now I, I I turned away halfway through. But John, I I, I so rudely interrupted you. You were you no, were... that's okay. Yeah, well, one of the trailers I think gives away uh, a couple of details. I think it's much better to be enjoyed going in cold. All you need to know, really, yes, yes. So it's reteaming the team from In Bruges. So you have Martin McDonough, writer, director. Colin Fowle and uh, Brendan Gleeson are the two leads and they are the two friends who go to the pub every day. And then one day, Brendan Gleeson's character says, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Uh, and that's it. That's that's the setup. That's the premise. Uh, and it's, it's a fascinating... Uh, kind of character study, I suppose, of two people who don't know how to like exist together. They they live in a very small community, very tight knit community. Everyone knows each other. It's on this tiny island. the The setting, the time period, the year that this is set in Irish history is of particular importance. I think that you know that plays in in a really interesting way. They're like like a lot of uh, Martin McDonagh's films and plays. There's you know, lots of allegory and metaphor um, behind these very human stories. It is very funny. Like, I mean, so funny. It, like, like it, it hits all of his hallmarks. You know, it is very darkly funny in a way that you oft, often feel like, eh, should I be laughing at this? This is horrible. Um, it is occasionally quite violent. And it looks beautiful. It looks incredible. It was filmed, yeah. I think, the uh, the island Athol of island and, uh, Inishmore. Inishmore, yeah. So all these 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 real Inishmore. locations in in the west of Ireland, and my god, it looks beautiful. The cinematography is is just stunning. But yeah, it, like like we say, it's 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 a hard film to talk about without spoiling. I would say that uh, the performances are fantastic. Colin Fowle, in particular, I would like to see get some nominations come awards season. I think he's really, really good at playing this sort of confused, uh, slightly simple, but ultimately decent man trying to understand why he no longer has this friend. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see lots of awards for this film. Lots of awards. Yeah. I've seen the I've seen the words "best picture frontrunner" attached to this movie. I, I I mean honestly, if it's not, then my God, we've got a good year. This is this is. So why have you only given a four? <laughs> we, uh, honestly, I feel like our our four star review is is way harsh. Ty, uh, this is a five star classic. I freaking love this film. Yeah. Um, and the way it balances tone, the way it's you know, John mentioned sort of metaphor and allegory, but like there's so much to unpack in this film. You can you can see it as as a you know 
a discussion of legacy, a discussion of the price of creativity, a discussion of the value of being a good person, a discussion of, you know, male friendships and, and the complications thereof, a discussion of just claustrophobic communities and, and you know, reputational harm and all this kind of stuff. You can just go for the miniature donkey. There is so much <laughs> to love about this film. And, mm. and but I mean, above all, it's um, Brendan Glaser and, and and Colin Farrell on screen, Martin McDonough off screen. Mm. These three, if I would watch them, you know, read the phone book together, I just think they're incredible together. And I mean, Colin Farrell in particular is, is the standout for me. Colin mm. Farrell's eyebrows are the standout. <laughs> I, I could not love this more. If this film had a face, I would snog it. I love it. Wow. <laughs> we, That's the poster quote I want to read. <laughs> I, I would, you know, firmly handshake for this film, perhaps. Maybe uh, a hearty hug. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good good pat on the back. I would don't you know carve from... this film's face into a giant mountain? Naked. Wearing only the heart of the ocean. Why is it? Why is would the heart naked? of the ocean come in? The film is naked. You're not naked. Nobody's naked in this film. Yeah, you know the naked carving. Like? Frankly, that could go very wrong very quickly. We so just you want to be like careful. A 35 millimeter film strip that, that carved in. Like, what, what does the naked film look like? Philosophical question. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so we gave this one four stars, and I think I know why. It's because it doesn't change the hierarchy of power in the DC universe. <laughs> of course. And that's a, that's a big mistake, I would say, on Mark Madonna's part, a, a it's, big it's oversight. A, it's the one shortcoming that this it film has. It is the has. one shortcoming. So we have punished it severely by giving it four stars instead of the five that it sounds like it deserves, the Banshees of... In a Sharon, you heathen. In a Sharon. So I would say in a Sharon. I would still say in a Sharon. You're, you're, in that's because you're a huge Ed Sharon fan. I'm but. a huge Ed Sharon <laughs> fan. And we all are, aren't we? We all want to be part of the A-team, really, don't we? <laughs> okay. Does this film feature a Galway girl? I'm going to be sure, but I don't think so. <laughs> next, up, next up, and very, very briefly, big, um, for reasons that will become very, very obvious, is the new film from Paul Feig, which is on Netflix. It is called The School for Good and Evil. Uh, John Nugent, you've seen this film. You did not enjoy this film. Spoiler uh, alert. We gave this film one star. You gave this film one star, John yes. Nugent. Now, here's the thing. We give out one stars very, very rarely. Mm. What went wrong, John? Because these books, these Simon Chinani books, that this based are actually very good. So yeah, I'm not familiar with the books. Uh, I am only familiar with with the two and a half hour f- adaptation <laughs> um, from Paul Feig. In fairness, it, it, it does feel longer. I really don't know what happened here. I don't know what happened here. It's because damaged you in ways you can't really express, hasn't it? <laughs> I I am slightly traumatized by it. <laughs> I think what's 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 most disappointing is that it is Paul Feig who who is I I've loved so many of his films. Yeah. I I I think Freaks and Geeks is is literally one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, I think Bridesmaids is is a masterpiece of comedy. Spy. I, 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 Spy is fantastic. I think that you know I have watched those Jason Statham <laughs> lines so many times on YouTube about you know taking a man's off, arm off and I, I yeah it's 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 a real shame that 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 I would give uh, a Paul Feig film one star but that is where we are it is a young adult film so if you if you're not familiar with the story it's uh, uh about a literal school for good and evil it's set in a fairy tale world where fairy tales are real uh, and there are witches and there are wizards and there are you know all of this sort of thing. And they basically have, so I've read the book, I haven't seen the mm. film yet, but the, the, the idea of the school is you're sort of put in the Glinda the Good Witch kind of side of the program or the kind of 
you know, green-skinned evil witch side of the program and these two girls from this same small town go off and are put in, you know, the opposite sides of the program and, and yet end up sort of They've been put in what they consider the wrong ones. Yes, yes, both There's of a, them. So the good ones and the evil, and the evil ones. And exactly, the good. and exactly. they're both just trying to scheme and get you know sort this out. It's obviously some kind of administrative error. So they're trying to figure out their place in the world and get put mm. back into the right. All the best stories thing. are about administrative errors. I mean, it's it's a perennial sort. Of, I mean, if you're not going to write about you know tax at tra- of trade routes in the outer <laughs> outer rim, I mean, it's the it's the obvious next best option. I think so. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. John, carry on. So, yes, that, that is essentially it. And you've got uh, Sophia Wiley, who plays Agatha, and... Uh, Agatha, all along. Sophia and Caruso, who plays Sophie. There's lots of Sophies there. Um, but they are the two leads who are, are sent to the wrong schools, and then they must, through very, very slow, and uh, <laughs> they really take their time. They They try and find a way to meet in the middle, essentially. Uh, and there are some, you know, very... Harry Potter-esque teachers guiding them along the way. You've got Lawrence Fishburne as a sort of Dumbledore type and uh, Charlize Theron is a sort of Maleficent type, a Snape type. And then uh, Kerry Washington is a sort of uh, Giselle from Enchanted type. Um, (laughs) And it's two and a half hours long, which is just not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. I just don't understand why you would do that. That is... No. And does I, this film adapt just the first book in the series, or is it like all I think nine it's just of the them first whatever? Book. I think okay. it's just the first book. Well, I'll say some things very quickly, and then let's just draw a fail of the whole thing, <laughs> pretend it never happened. Uh, it doesn't feel like a Paul Feig movie, first of all. It doesn't yeah. feel, it feels like it's been directed by committee. There's no sense of personality, really. There's no sense of wit or fun. It feels, it, I, I found it a slog, to be honest, a real slog. I couldn't connect with the characters. I thought it was... Uh, poorly realized, cloth-eared, and heavy-handed. But apart from that, I loved it. <laughs> it's it's it, it's genuinely not funny. There, there there is very few moments of of actual levity, even though they are seem to be trying. Uh, it is overburdened with cliches. The the cliches come thick and fast. There are there are like the 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 evil villains cackle their lines and say things like. Now we will commit true evil, or did you really think it would be that easy? And you know all of this sort of thing. Uh, that yeah. that it doesn't look great. I mean, there, some of the CGI is is okay. Some of it feels a little bit rushed. Yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of going for a sort of Tim Burton aesthetic, but never quite hits that. It's it's it's. I think he's trying to obviously do something out of his wheelhouse. Yeah. And that's always to be applauded mm. and admired. But I think all this does is reinforce how good he is at the stuff that he does well. Yeah. Um, so, fail, drawn, over, the school yeah. for good and evil. Evil. There's another movie out this week, uh, which is My Policeman, mm. uh, which is the <laughs> film from Michael Grandage, which Harry Styles, for It Is He, is involved in a love triangle, but not the way you think. In 1950s England, he is married to Emma Corrin, but he is in love with another man played by David Dawson, who people, of course, will know from The Last Kingdom. And uh, the film is out in cinemas this week, but it's also hitting streaming next week. So we'll, we'll be reviewing it on next week's show. But right now, you are going to hear from the final guests this week. The reviews are done, and we're going to go straight into our final guests this week, who are 
Emma Corrin, who is one of the stars, of course, of My Policeman, and Michael Grandage, who is the director of the film. And Ella Kemp spoke to them earlier on this week, I believe it was, and had a good old time. I say that because I haven't heard the interview. So it might be a terrible time, but hopefully it's a good old time. Here is Emma Corrin and Michael Grandage talking about My Policeman. Enjoy. Thank you for making the time to talk to me for the Empire podcast. I caught My Policeman a couple of days ago at London Film Festival um, and was really moved by it. It's it's so beautiful. It's a lovely thing to watch in the middle of the afternoon. I mean that as a compliment. I don't know how that comes across, me saying it fits very well in the middle of the afternoon. But when you've got a lot of time to like take it in and enjoy, you know, you can't you can't rush it. No. Uh, I love the I idea like, of a middle. I love a, night, a middle of an afternoon film. I've got yeah, no nice. that whatsoever. Is that a genre that we need to kind of revive a little yeah, bit? Yeah, bring it back, I say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, what was the first thing, Emma, that struck you when you read the script for this? Because there's not just one kind of domineering force, I think, in this. I think that's what struck me was the complexity of it and how it explores and handles. It like manages to hold so many things, so many aspects of human experience. Um, I loved how it was an ode to friendship as well as an exploration into heartbreak. And I loved how it dealt with acceptance, self-acceptance, and then also what society was and wasn't accepting at the time. Yeah, I think it just carried so much. And as an actor, that's obviously very exciting because it's so challenging to wrap your head around. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, when did you first come across this story? About three years ago now, a bit, maybe a little bit longer even. And what's interesting is that it's uh, the world has even changed since I uh, mm. came into contact because actually I knew why I wanted to make the film in the moment I read it all those all that time ago. And I could bring a lot. I was born into an England where the law was as it was at the beginning of this film. And, um, and you know, I'm very proud of the huge advances we've made over the last 40 years. There's no question about that. But I also feel now, three years on from first reading the screenplay, I think we're living in a time that's a bit fragile again, if I'm honest. And I feel that I feel that the film can speak to a generation which, thanks to Emma and thanks to Harry, quite a lot of young people will now see this film. And I'm pleased because I think young people are the least prejudiced generation that have been born. And I need, in a way, them to see it and perhaps they won't know about the the period in the English history not so long ago in certainly my lifetime where it, you know you weren't allowed to be who you are you weren't certainly allowed to be free to be who you are and I hope they'll become advocates for not going back to that while others older than them I think probably are trying to push us in that direction yeah especially in the US at the moment with all the censorship of literature and the don't say gay ban and everything in schools and around so many parts of the world i think that it's it's a tricky time i mean when when the when the roe v wade thing happened recently and one of those supreme court justices said now let's turn to gay marriage that just gives you an idea that it's absolutely Mm. out there and i think this film hopefully will help um give people the courage to keep fighting yeah 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 i really do Emma, how much did you know about this period in history because i feel like you know i'm in my 20s and watching it i thought i knew how how much progress had been made but some parts of it are still quite uh they're still quite shocking to watch yeah incredibly shocking and i don't think i knew that much about um 50s really um and yeah it was fascinating to learn it was an incredible i read the book as soon as i got the script and 
just completely fell into it. I think it's fascinating and yeah, made me very determined to want to tell the story for all the reasons that we just spoke about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but as David often says, like Patrick's character is it's, it's so admirable and you really feel for him because he's he finds a way to survive and he finds a way to live even when society doesn't want him to. And I think that's so inspiring and it's, yeah, it's a really beautiful testament to how courageous people were in fighting for the, their sense of self and who they wanted to be at that time. Despite yeah. Everything. yeah. The other thing that's lovely about that, though, about the story generally is, as Emma said at the beginning, is that even though, you know, that marriage shouldn't probably have taken place and even though it had, they've had no children and they probably have don't have a physical relationship, there is definitely still yeah. love mm-hmm. and there's affection and there's friendship. And that's worth exploring as well, just in terms of two people being together. The film, in that respect, I think has quite... Um, Quite, quite a sophisticated level of exploring the nature of relationships beyond what we might consider to be something that is a straightforward relationship. That that that, that the Marion um, the Marion Tom relationship is in of itself something that's worth taking a look at. Mm. Yeah, I mean the fact that Marion and Tom don't really have much of a physical relationships later in their lives, I think is is so interesting. And obviously, as you say, they are still together. But I was wondering if you could both speak about the way that you went about um, like filming and imagining the different intimate scenes. Obviously, Tom is extremely different when he's with Patrick as he is with Marion, and it raises up a lot of interesting things about gender, I think. I think that it's very similar to what you just said, Michael, in that when we were talking about the intimate scenes with Tom and Marion, it's very much... You can tell that what they have together is like this friendship and it's a celebration of that between them, but there's no passion and there's no real freedom that they find in each other in the way that Tom does when he's with Patrick. And it's sort of, I think we choreographed it to almost be sort of slightly heartbreaking. And it's in those scenes, I think, especially for Marion, that it's confirmed that there's something missing, even though she can't put her finger on it. And even when you're that physically close to someone, you can tell that she feels so far from him as well. Yeah. And I was just keen that the, the the intimacy scenes all were strong narrative scenes that quite often you can have story, 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 sex scene, story, story, story. And I wanted those scenes to absolutely be it where we learnt about the characters, where we learnt about uh, the difference between the two relationships, where we learnt about the progress of something that started for the two men as exploration uh, and then um, being about complete abandonment and the need between Marion and Tom for something to to try and make it work and how. The, but it, it really, I think we we all spoke at the beginning because we were lucky enough to get some rehearsal as well. We all spoke about how treat them as scenes just without dialogue, but they are going to have to be just as important as scenes with dialogue. And I think that's what we've tried to aim for um, in the uh, in all of those scenes that involve intimacy. Actually, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the lack of dialogue because there's one uh, one of the intimate scenes between um, Tom and Marion, which uh, got, got quite a significant reaction when, when I watched it a few days ago, was uh, just after they're married and Tom and Marion are in bed together and then Marion at the end of it just goes, that was lovely. And it's such an interesting moment where there's so much, she's trying so hard. She convinced herself, yeah. And you just don't really know whether to believe her, to feel bad for anyone to be happy. That moment is to open up a conversation with him about intimacy and about their relationship. It's like an invitation, trying to fill the silence 
and trying to break through to him and that sort of knowledge simultaneously that she won't be able to, but for reasons that she doesn't quite understand. Mm. Yeah. So there, there are so many moments in the film which are not funny in the sense of laughing at any of these people in any way, but just trying to make sense of all of the confusion and the way that, and and the fun parts of falling for someone as well, which kind of make you smile in ways which it's nice because I feel like in a lot of films that I've seen, you know, about gay relationships, about queer sex, um, there's a lot of pain and there is a lot of sadness in this film, but there's there's little moments of light as well. Was that something that you kind of kept on your mind throughout? Well, in, in a way, it, it does it for you because life is humorous when you're least expecting it to be, and and bits of humor come in. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't, unless you're a comedian, you don't set out to actually make moments humorous. And humor in day to day comes from things where you're simply not expecting it. That's Organic. why, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, and I think it's true of the film as well. And that is what it is a moment that I mean, it's also an incredibly, it's a very um, wonderful thing that Mary and says what she says in a way to to try and you know it's some people may may see it as dishonest but the truth is it's about two people in a very very um intimate scenario uh, being loving towards each other but in in that we of course can see the uh, some humor in that because we've just watched the act hardly work so it was you know it was it was um it, i understand it and i think it's a rather wonderful thing that we can still laugh at ourselves yeah. I mean, in all of their interactions, there's so there's so many different layers of performance that I feel they all have. Um, I know you both have a background in the stage and are returning to the stage soon as well. I was wondering how much that kind of feeds into your work on film as it's, you know, it's very different practices. We were lucky in that we had um, three weeks of rehearsal, which really felt like we were rehearsing a play almost, that we got to that sense of like, community in a rehearsal room and got to really spend time with the characters and talking about everything, which was great. But they are very different crafts, I think. And I think when you go on set, they do feel very different. I think we're using a completely different skill set. Um, I think I think that's right. From a director's point of view, the only thing that's that both have for me is the lovely interaction with actors. The fact that you can talk about character backstory, the fact that you can develop a character with an actor, that remains the same. But otherwise, the mediums are very different. I mean, for one thing, you don't. I don't have close up in the theatre. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's lovely to be It's lovely to be able to enjoy it. I don't have location shots in the theatre. You know, you don't, yeah. you've, got, you've, got, you've got everything, but you have lots of other things that you don't have in film, and that's also wonderful. It's They're two quite different mediums, but there is obviously the actor at the centre of them is the or performance at the centre, I guess, is the common denominator. Thank you both so much for your time, and congratulations on the film. I'm looking forward Thank to you. watching it with big audiences everywhere. Thank you, Ella. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Emma Corrin and Michael Grandage, star and director of My Policeman. Oh, come on, Jimbo, you look hanging there. Sorry, sorry. Unbelievable. And that is it. On that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... Can't remember, but the good people. Well, hey, I love them. I love the good people. I know. The good people are the best. They are very, very good people. Very good people. I think Daniel Radcliffe might be one of them. Or maybe oh. Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, Both good people. The best people. See what I mean? Mm. Good people. And you know what Daniel Radcliffe sings? My Bologna. I know, that's mm. about put it in oh, my sorry, head. Sorry. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the, uh, that's called the old, the old earworm, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs>
You just wait. I mean, if you thought we loved uh, Banshees of Inisherin, you just wait till we talk about <laughs> Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Ah, oh. I mean, it's, we we okay. We loved yeah, it. We loved. Yeah, I, love, I, was I say, love Banshees it's, it's, a little bit more. Probably you love Banshees. Yeah, <laughs> but Weird is but much better than I expected. It's a so ton of fun. It really is a ton of fun. But anyway, we'll be joined by someone. So I don't know. So I don't know who's on next week's show. So sue me. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it's goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, John Nugent. Goodbye. It's goodbye from James Dyer. See you next time. <laughs> uh, it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. I don't know if I should be. Mm-hmm. 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 Toodaloo. It doesn't really no, it doesn't scan. It doesn't work. End the podcast. End the podcast. Believe me, I'm going to end the podcast. It's goodbye from me. I am off to change the hierarchy of power in the DC universe by tripping up Superman. Oh, that'll Didn't do Didn't see it. that coming, did you, soups? You prick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Fuck you, Superman. Yeah, fuck you, Superman. Superman.